0: All right. So, how's everybody doing? All right. It's great to see you. It has been far too long. It wasn't supposed to be this long, but I haven't been here in it's been like five weeks. What's up with that? I I miss you too. Uh, I, mean, I don't know how I feel about the rest of you, but I miss. I, um, no, it was You know, hurricanes and and then uh, we had Tom last week. How many of you liked Tom DeRosa last week? Yeah, <clears throat> Tom did a great job. As I like to tell Tom, he's way too smart for his own good. Um, Because you can ask Tom a simple question and you'll be there like an hour later. And he's telling you about like photons and like... Anyway, I talked to Tom and like he loses me after about the first two minutes. Because then he starts talking about RNA. I knew about DNA. He didn't know about RNA. My wife can keep up, but she's a lot smarter than me. Uh, That's not news to her. She knows that. She's been married to me for 15 years, so she's well aware uh, of all that. But anyway, um, it's great to be back, needless to say. And it's going to be me from here on out for a while, so... Uh, You know, you think about that as you make your choices each Sunday morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Um, Anyway, most of you know that I have a three-year-old son named Alexander. We call him Xander. And uh, the cool thing about Xander, one of the many awesome things about him, is that he wants to do everything just like me. Um, And it really is the cutest thing in the world. Most days, um, he wants to make sure that we match. And so, like today, he saw I was wearing a blue shirt and so he said, I, I want to wear a Cars shirt, but he wanted to wear a particular Cars shirt that had like these blue stripes so that we matched. So we were both wearing blue. And, uh, and if, if I go, if I get dressed and then he sees me and he's, we don't match, he'll go into his room and change his shirt so we match. Um, or like one day, this is a couple weeks ago, I was wearing this orange polo and he told me I had to change because he didn't own an orange shirt. So he's like, you can't wear that because I don't have an orange shirt. Um now what's he also not only does he try to dress like me, he tries to talk like me, which is hilarious. Um like I have like I don't know, I must have literally like thirty nicknames for him of all these different crazy things he does. So I have these nicknames, but one of the the nickname that I probably call him the most is Soldier. I don't know why I started calling him that. It's a thing out of the movie Cars. So I started calling him Soldier, so wherever he goes somewhere, I'm like, come on, soldier. And uh so that's what I'll say when I want him to go somewhere with me. I'll say, Come on, soldier. But then, lately, um, if he wants me to go somewhere, he'll say that to me. Except he'll say, come on, soldier. And I'm like, and I say, who are you trying to sound like? And he's like, that sounds like you. I'm like, that doesn't sound like me at all. I don't sound muffled like that. Come on, soldier. And he says, yes, that sounds just like you. Um, but uh, the, other, the other night, um, we ordered out, or, you know, we... I was coming home a little late, so I told Carrie, don't worry about cooking. I'll pick something up. So I stopped by this restaurant. I pick up some food, and I'm bringing it home. And uh, I have this trick that I do. Now, you're going to be so glad you got up this morning just for this trick, minus everything else I'm going to tell you. But I do this trick where, um, like, you know, you get a meal, and it comes with, like, a side salad. Well, see, what I don't do, this is like, this is a rookie mistake, okay? What rookies do is that they open up the salad, and then they pour the dressing on, and then they eat it. You can't do that. You have an overage of dressing on the top end and a total under, uh, and then, you know, an undersupply of, of dressing. Then you're just eating plain lettuce. And like, who does that? You know, it's like the only re- the reason to eat a salad is for the dressing, in case you weren't aware. Uh, you know, a, uh, anyway, lettuce is just a vehicle for dressing. That's not really the point. But anyway, so I do this thing because I want an even distribution of dressing. So what I do is I'll take you know how the the uh, salad if it's the size of it, it usually comes in like a little container if you order out. So I'll take the salad I'll take the salad, open it up, pour the dressing, close it up, and then shake it. All right. And this is this this is by the way this is you know you got to do this with precision by the way. Uh, too long and you got leaks. Too little and it's not shaken through. So you know you got mileage may vary but you got to shake it up. So anyway then I open up. So my niece was staying with us for a couple of days. My niece, Sarah, who's 13 now, believe it or not. And um, so I ask her if she wants me to mix it up for her. So I mix it up. And she's like, wow, this is awesome. And so then I get my salad. I put the dressing on. And uh, I say, oh. And so I, I turn. <coughs> I put the dressing on. I haven't shaken yet. I put it down. Xander always sits to my left because he always like, sits next to me. So anyway, um, he I put the dress, the dressing on. I put the dressing uh, cl- just leave the salad there, and I, go, I turn around to grab some napkins off the counter. In the two seconds that I turn to grab the napkins off the counter, Xander says, Buppy, I'll be like you. And so he grabs the salad, and he starts shaking it like this. Except I hadn't closed the salad, the, the, the box yet. So he starts shaking it, and dressing, and lettuce, tomatoes, onions start going everywhere. Um, they're on him they're on the, his chair. They're on the table. They're on the floor. Most importantly, it's all over me um, because he's looking at me going, OK, I'll do it. But like the mouth of it is, you know, like like hungry, hungry hippos. Uh, so he kind of like starts shaking. it. so it's like coming at me. And um, <clears throat> so the stuff is going everywhere. And then he stops and he puts it down and then he wipes the vinaigrette from his eyes. And he says, that was not like Bobby. <laughs> sure wasn't, kid. Um, now the point is, is that everything that he does and his desire to be like me shows the relationship that we have, that I'm his dad and that, that he's, that he's my son and, um, that all you have to do is watch him and you'll see he has these same mannerisms that I have, the same likes that I have, the same dislikes, um, that I have. Like he, he eats things that he doesn't like, but he knows that I like. And so he'll take a bite and, and, and I'm like, Xander, do you like it? Mm-hmm, delicious, you know, and he just eats it because he knows that I like it, um, but what's funny is the other night, <clears throat> Xander woke up in the middle of the night, came out of his room, and came into, uh, came, climbed up into our bed, which happens uh, more often than not, but I didn't even wake up, it was, you know, Xander, he just tries to get as close to me as possible when he's asleep, or, you know, when he wakes up, and he comes, to, comes into bed with us, but Carrie was telling me the next morning that when and I didn't even wake up. I was totally out. And so, the point being is that he climbs into bed, and I'm totally zonked out. And he hears me snoring, um, and and he's just watching me. Carrie tells me the story that he's just watching me snore. And so then he lays down next. He just lays down next to me and goes. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And m- 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 Carrie is like, Xander, what are you doing? I'm breathing like Poppy is. you know, Which sounds more like Darth Vader than me, but that's not really the point. Um, but now the thing is this, is that, listen, our relationship with our Heavenly Father should have that same kind of effect. Where we would want to look like Him, act like Him, be like Him, breathe like Him. Um, that we should desire to love what God loves, to hate what God hates. And you know... There's a lot of talk these days about what God hates, isn't there? A lot of talk about who God hates. People creating signs, uh, showing up at the oddest places with signs about who God hates and why God hates them and all this. And um, I want to tell you something about what God hates and, and who God hates and stuff that people do that, that God hates. If you want to know, right? Don't read these little billboard signs or whatever that people create about what God hates. Let me tell you what the Bible says about what God hates, okay? Here's what it says in Proverbs 6. There are six six things the Lord hates, no, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, that is proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. You see, (coughs) what's interesting is, is that there can be people that hold up signs and even claim to be from a church... Right. And we would look and say that doesn't really look very much like God. And why is that? Well, it doesn't look like God because it doesn't God doesn't seem that hateful and vengeful as these people kind of seem like. Right. And yet the when a person really knows the Lord, when a person really walks with the Lord, listen, they are influenced by him. It's unmistakable the influence that that God has in a person's life when they really know the father. You see, there's a lot of times we can look on and think that, man, this person says they know God, but their lives, they live their lives in a very different way than what we know to be true about God. And this is the heart behind what John is going to tell us in 1 John chapter 5. We're in the process. We're making our initial descent into the end of this book, and we'll actually finish the book of 1 John next week. But he's driving home the point about if we have a real relationship with God, our lives will display it. You see, if you're really a Christian, there are people who will walk up to you in your office, and here's what they'll say. You know, there's something kind of different about you. I'm not really sure what it is, but you're just, you've got like, you're nice, you have joy, you know, and everybody here is griping about stuff. you just kind of got a positive attitude, and you've got a, a kind word for people. Now, what is that all about? And what, what do they see? They see God's influence. They see the work that God is doing in your life. That happens when, in school. If you're a student, high school or college student, and they, they, they see you and they say, well, there's something different about you. What is it? They're detecting your relationship with God. Your neighbors will walk up to you and they'll say, well, man, there, there's something different about you. I mean, we've had good neighbors. I mean, we even have State Farm, you know, because they're like good neighbors. And, uh, and so, but there's something different about you. They're detecting your relationship with God. And so what I want to do is give you three marks of a real relationship with God. And why is this so important for us? The reason it's so important for us is because lots of people talk about knowing God, but their lives are a disaster and it creates confusion to people that don't know God. And the reason why this is so important for us that are here and why I'm so glad that you decided to be here is because I really believe that this message is going to give you clarity in your relationship with God. Because there are times when things are difficult. And you're going to wonder, man, am I, am I not walking with the Lord? And that's why things are going so, so poorly? And, and I believe this message is going to give you clarity. This message, I also believe, is going to give you courage in your relationship with God. Because beyond just knowing the terms and the catchphrases, you're going to know just deep in your heart that, yeah, I do know the Lord. And that God is changing me from who I was to who I am to who he ultimately wants me to be. And then lastly, I believe this message is going to give you confidence in your relationship with God because you'll know how God works in your life and that He's at work in you and that there's a way that He's leading you and directing you. So if you would, let's open to First John chapter 5. As we begin in verse 1, here's what we read. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten by him. If you pause there and give me your attention, um, I I read out of the New King James Version, and I will re- readily admit that um, while this is very poetic and Shakespearean, um, it is a little difficult in our era to kind of understand. Like, he who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten. Uh, Thus said the Raven, Nevermore. Uh, what does that mean? Um, and so, what you know, we don't we don't talk like that anymore, right? So, but let me just kind of explain it. Um, he who loves him who begot. A fa- a begot means um, uh, begot is to be the father of. So he who loves him who begot, that is the father, loves him who is begotten, that is the son. Let me read to you out of the New Living Translation, which might um, make this, tra- this verse a little easier to understand. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. So everyone who loves who- him who begot, the father, loves him who is begotten, his kids as well. So there's three things that I wanted to tell you about a real relationship with God. Number one is this, that we begin in in verse 1, and that is that a real relationship with God is built on Jesus. It's built on Jesus. There's two things that John says in this verse that are of huge importance to us. He says that every person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God, that they are a Christian. Now please understand that this doesn't mean that... But This idea of believing is just, you just have this random information that there is a God and you believe that God had a son named Jesus that he sent into the world. Um, You see, it's it's much deeper than that. The second word in that verse, whoever believes, believes. What does that term mean? If you're a note taker, that term believe is the Greek word pisteo, uh, P-I-S-T-E-O. Pisteo is a word in, in the original Greek language that means to cling to, to grab hold to something, to just hold on to it for dear life. Now, let me explain it this way. There's two types of people in this world, okay? Um, there's, uh, of, of those who um, have ever been on, how many of you have ever been on a roller coaster? Can I ask that question? Okay, most of you. Um, now, how many of you, if I can ask, when you ride a roller coaster, you're like, hands up. Woo! Yeah, you, you, that's you. Right, these are the people among us that need medication. Um, now, how many of you, you somehow were coaxed to go on a roller coaster and you hold on to that bar like your life depended on it? Okay, these are what we like to refer to as normal people, okay? Um, now, now here's the thing. My wife is in the first group, all right? My wife loves roller coasters. Um, I am of the other group. I love the ground, okay? Okay. Um, so, my, my, now I'll tell you this. My mom has a picture of my wife and I, um, the one and only time that I was on Splash Mountain uh, in, in, in uh, the Magic Kingdom. And uh, I'm a big Disney fan, as, as you, if you've been around here, you know that. But I, w- I went on uh, Splash Mountain, <clears throat> and my wife somehow talked me into the fact that it's better if you're up front, uh, which is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, and uh, so, that's a Star Trek quote, by the way. For just, There's a nerd alert going off, that's it. Uh, so anyway, so my wife said, we should go in the front, it'll be better. Because when the impact comes, you're just dead on the spot. Um, so anyway... <clears throat> So we go up, right? And then you get to like the, whatever the 50 foot drop or 10,000 feet. It's about the same to me. And uh, so we get to the top, you start going down and then they take your picture. And uh, now the picture at at my mom's is this. There's a picture of Carrie like this, right? And then there's me. That's how it is. Now, Pisteo to cling to, right? It's this. That's clinging, holding on for dear life. You would not let go even if someone had a chainsaw next to you and they're like, I'm gonna saw, you're going to have to saw these hands off to get me to let go. That's pisteo, okay? That's when he says, whoever believes, clings to, holds on to, grabbing hold of for dear life. That's what John says. Whoever is clinging to, grabbing hold of, holding on to for dear life, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, is born of God. You see... John would say it this way, uh, Jesus would say it this way in John 17, in what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Um, Jesus would say it, he would say, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, when we talk about believing, trusting, clinging to, holding on to, it means that we trust him for everything. It means we lo- we're looking to Jesus for direction, for wisdom, for guidance, for salvation eternally, and for salvation even in the present. It means that we trust Him more even than we would trust ourselves. Do you know something? We think about like, oh, you know, when Jesus saves, He saves you from eternally. He saves you from hell or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and that's all true, of course. But you know that Jesus wants to save you right now from you, from me? You know how many times Jesus has saved me from me, right? Because I, I'm going to make a decision that's horrible and then something happens that just... You know, God sends somebody in my path like, hey, don't do that. You know, um, what, you know, and I'm telling you. And the cool thing is, if you're a Christian, then God will use you as an instrument in his hand to, to just get it to be in someone's life at the right moment to cause them to not make a poor decision. You know, a couple of years ago, um, it was about three or four Christmases ago, um, I meant to call. It was a Christmas, it was Christmas Day. I meant to call my brother. And so I'm flipping through my phone. And, and I, I'm i talking at the same time. We had some people over the house, but I wanted to, you know, I call my siblings on Christmas. Um, and so I went to call to click to call my brother, and I thought I hit to call my brother, but I ended up calling someone else by accident. So I just was talking. I thought I hit my brother's name, but I hit somebody else's name. And so I put my phone to my ear and so i hear somebody else it's a friend of mine who's a pastor also and i'm like what are you doing with my brother's phone and uh, and i look and i'm like oh i didn't call my brother i called him and you know you do those recoveries like hey bob it's good to hear from you on christmas and i'm like hey man just thinking of you right now <laughs> and uh yeah yeah thinking about you oh, really yeah the last 10 seconds or so you've been all that's on my mind and um now here's the thing that's very interesting um, he had gone to start a church in another state, and uh, it was Christmas, so he had just done. Um, he had just done a lo- been promoting kind of this this big Christmas outreach that he was doing, Christmas Eve outreach. And so I said, "Hey, tell me about uh, you know we talked about family and all that." And I said, "Hey, tell me about your Christmas outreach and how it went." He said, "Ah, oh, you know it didn't go well, and we didn't have the turnout we hoped, and we didn't really see much of a response." And and uh, he was really discouraged. And I said, "Man, I'm so sorry to hear that." and, and he said, "You know, I mean." interesting that you called me. I was actually, we're, we're, thinking about shutting the whole church down. We just don't see God doing anything. And, you know, maybe God just wants us to do something else. And, and, um, we talked a little more and I said, listen, you can't, you can't close it. You know, I said, just give it six more months and see what happens. And, um, He asked me later, he said, what was going to happen at the end of six months if it didn't go well? I said, I was just going to tell you to give it six more months after that. But that's my whole strategy. I was just going to keep stringing you along for six months. Um, But uh, I just because I just knew. I mean, I believe that God called you and I believe that something was going to happen. It just just maybe took a little bit of time to get things kind of kick started. And um, and sure enough, I mean, we started investing in him as a church and I started um, investing in him regularly and his leadership and all that. And listen, right now, today, that church is thriving. They're getting ready um, to buy a piece of property and build their very first building. And uh, and and listen, and all of this, and, and I think about this, um, all of this happened because somebody called him by accident. And you say, Well, was it really by accident? I don't think it was by accident. I think that I think I did press my brother's number and God just, you know, knows how to reprogram iPhones um, <laughs> and just sent it somewhere else. And, uh, and, and I'm like, Hey, what, you know, and and because listen, Jesus even saves people from themselves. And the point is this, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, it means you trust him above everything. It even means we even trust him above our own judgment. The second thing that John mentions is that those who love God will love not just the father, but they'll love the children of God. And that's talking about the church, the people of God. I mean, could you imagine someone saying, and I hear people say that like, Oh, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That's like someone saying to you, I love you, but I hate your kids. You know, like if someone says to me, hey, you know, Bob, I really love you, but I don't like your kids. I mean, after I smack them, uh, I'm going to say, you don't love me either. Right? Because you can't love me and not and not love my kids. And, And listen, if you're a Christian, then you'll have a church that you call home because it's impossible as a believer to grow alone. Jesus established the church. He established the church where we could grow in our faith, learn God's word, worship together, use our gifts and be a place where people far from God can come to know him. And listen, I, I've talked to too many people over the years to talk about, oh, you know, I love I love Jesus, but oh, I hate the church and I just kind of do my own thing. And I'll and I'll, you know, I talk to guys like this all the time and, and I'll tell them, so, you know, I, 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 I think I understand what you're saying. but It's not what you think you're saying. What you're saying is is that there's one of two things that happen. One is is that you went to a church and someone hurt you. And now because some random person hurt you, you've kind of written off all churches everywhere for all time because of the act of one person. Or there's something else. Or there's a lifestyle we've embraced, a decision that we've made, or there's a sin we won't let go of that now has caused us to want to step back from the people of God, because when we get together with the people of God, um, not that people are judging us, but instead we just we come to a service and we just feel like, man, God is really speaking to me, and I can't really handle that right now because I don't want to change. And this is part of the issue that happens, you know, when um, in First John chapter three, and we covered this a couple of weeks ago. John says, "This we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren." He who does not love his brother abides in death. Because listen, friends, the Bible, 58 times the Bible uses the term one another, right? That as the church, we're to love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another. And uh, the last time I checked, you can't one another alone, right? You know, call somebody up, hey man, what are you up to? Hey, you know, just bearing one another's burdens by myself. Like, how, how does that... How do you do that? Well, it's kind of like, I don't know how you do that. Uh, it doesn't really make any sense, but that's kind of what I'm doing. And listen, if we're going to have a real relationship with God, it's got to be built on real faith and trust in Jesus. It's got to be built on real love for God's people. Because when we have a love for God's people, that's how we grow. When we have a love for God's people, that's how those, they come alongside and kind of sand off the rough edges. And we just keep progressing in our faith. And if we don't have that, listen, we need to examine ourselves to see if our faith is real. That's what, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says. He says, test yourself to see if you're really in the faith. The second thing that John says, look at verse, verses 2 and 3 of 1 John 5. He says these words He says, By this we know that we love the children of God, uh, that we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you. And that is that a real relationship with God is displayed through our actions. It's displayed through our actions, displayed on what we do. I love that phrase, I actually have it underlined, that says, His commands are not burdensome. The commands of God are not a burden. The commands of God are not a bummer, they're a blessing. Why? Because, listen, my life is always better when I trust God and obey God. Your life is always better when you trust and obey God. Because, listen, if you're a young Christian, and I know there's so many young Christians in our church, um, it might seem like the commandments of God are burdensome because they're against our fleshly nature. They're against what we've done and thought was right for our most of our lives until we've come to know the Lord. And now, um, you know, we look on and we're like, man, that just seems like... Just, it seems like a burden. You know, we look at forgiveness and we think, oh, do I really have to do that? You know, and then we do it. And you know what we experience? The blessing of a restored relationship. You know, when you're a young Christian, you look at something like tithing and you're like, are you serious? I mean, it seems like a lot. And then you do it and you realize what that it's a blessing. You realize that God blesses you with more than you ever could have done with if you just kept it all to yourself anyway. Because there's something that happens that the commands of God, listen, are not just God's way of trying to spoil the fun. They're not God's way of trying to just, well, I'm just going to make them do this. That'd be interesting to watch. No, instead, God does this because he wants to give us the best life possible. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you were with us when we met in the movie theater several years ago? How many of you? Okay, a lot of you. Awesome. Um, now, uh, we, some of you know, we, as I mentioned, we used to meet in this movie theater probably about 15 minutes from here. And uh, we used to store, uh, what we would do is on a Sunday morning, we would take over several different movie theaters. One that was an auditorium, and then the others that we used for children's ministry and youth and all that. And um, what would happen is once everything, once we were done, we would take all of our stuff and we would put it in these giant uh, like rubber storage bins. And we would put them underneath, um, like behind the, the screens. Um, behind the curtain and uh, behind the screens. And we'd keep them. Then on Sunday morning, we'd go behind the screens, pull everything out and set everything up. Well, one of the things that we realized, we were having this problem because we were coming in on Sundays and all the stuff was opened. And this was happening for a period of, you know, two or three weeks. We'd come in and all the stuff was open and things were scattered. We're like, man, what is happening here? And uh, we would have these mat. We had like these yoga mats that we used um, because obviously when toddlers were crawling around, we didn't want them to... Crawl around on the floor uh, on the theater because you know they would stick because of the butter. Uh, so, you know we didn't want that, um, so instead we, we bought these uh, these big yoga mats, and so we would have we would lay these yoga mats out, and then the kids would crawl on the yoga mats. Then after the service, we would clean them all and then put them away. Well, anyway, we were we were getting there on Sunday morning and. These yoga mats were out, and they were on the floor and kind of spread out and all this. And we had no idea what was happening. We also noticed that the kids' snack containers were open. So it's like we'd have this big container of goldfish, and then we'd have, we'd get back and it'd be like half a container of goldfish or this you know, those giant things you'd buy at like Costco of animal crackers, and there'd be, you know, like a, you know, a third of it would be gone, you know, and like, man, we just bought this thing. What, what, what is happening here? And um, anyway, we, um, we, one uh, evening, we had to go and bring some stuff back to the, the theater. And I was riding along and bringing some stuff back. And it turned out, as we went in, in between shows to put some stuff in these, uh, in these bins and whatever, that there was a kid that was sleeping in, using our stuff. I mean, it's like Goldilocks, 21st century. Um, this kid, would he, would he worked at the theater. And then when his shift was done... He would uh, lay out everything. Uh, he'd pull out the mats, and then, you know, he would, uh, he, he would get just kind of let this, because that's what he slept on was the mats. And then he would have, like, little snacks, because I guess if he, his shift got over, he would just kind of watch the giant screen from behind the screen where he was sleeping. And, um, and so, anyway, so this is what was happening. So, you know, you get there, and it's like you see a kid asleep with, like, goldfish all over him. And it's just, you know, slightly awkward. And, uh, and so anyway, so I'd start talking to the kid and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he says, uh, well, he told me that he was homeless and, um, that he got into this big fight with his mom uh, a couple months ago. And he's like, man, I just head out. I headed out and, uh, I made my way here and then I got a job here and started building a life here and whatever. And I'm like, well, wow. So you, you kind of just left home and make, found your way here to Miami. And, and I'm like, so where are you from? And he says, Doral, (laughs) Doral. I think you're going to say like Detroit or or Dallas, but not Doral. And and you're like two exits down the road. And I'm like, okay, new strategy. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to hop on a bus because I ain't driving you. You're going to hop on a bus. And you're going to get to your mom's house and you're going to go there. You're going to knock on the door and you're going to repent and you're going to ask her forgiveness. Yeah, but we got into a fight. And I said, listen, I don't even need to hear the fight to know that you're probably wrong. And then he told me, and sure enough, he was wrong. And, uh, and I said, and I'm like, listen, he's like, well, man, do I really need to do that? And I'm like, I don't know. You sleep behind a movie screen and you live off of goldfish and animal crackers Is this the life? You know, there's very, like the story doesn't, let me tell you how the story doesn't end. The story doesn't end. I ran away from home and then I started living off of Goldfish and Crackers behind a movie theater and fast forward five years and here I am as a junior senator here in Congress. That's not the way it ends. It's not the way it ends. You don't end in Congress. Uh, You know, you're going to end probably in jail. So uh, here's the thing. You need to go home. You need to repent and humble yourself. Before your mom. And after some hin and han and all this. He did it. Next week I saw him still working in the theater. Because you know he only lived like four miles away. Um, He's still there. You know. And so it turns out what he thought was going to be burdensome. When he simply applied a simple biblical principle of humbling yourself. That you know Bible says if you humble yourself in the sight of God. He will lift you up. And that's what happened. What he thought would be a burden turned out to be a blessing. And that's the way it works in God's economy. That God's commands, listen, make our lives better. That's why he gives us the commands in the first place. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. God says this to the people of Israel. You shall keep these statutes and commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. And that you may prolong your lives in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Listen, God's promise is that when we obey him, you'll see the the life that he wants to give you. The good things that he wants to do in your life. Now look what happens in verse 4 as we begin to draw this to a close. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. And who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing that I want to tell you about a real relationship with God. Is that a real relationship with God overcomes the world. John Three times in these two verses, John uses that phrase, overcome. And this phrase, overcome, is a powerful word in John's writings. You know, John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, in the letters, in chapters 2 and 3, in the seven letters to the seven churches, there's a part where Jesus tells each church the blessing of what happens if you overcome. To the person that overcomes, to the church who overcomes, that there is a reward for that person who overcomes. To the church at Ephesus, let me read some of these to you. To the church at Ephesus, he says this. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To the church at Smyrna, he says this, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The church at Pergamos, he says this, to him who overcomes, I will give him to eat of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name, which no one knows except him who wrote it. The church at Thyatira, he says this, to he who overcomes and keeps my work to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Another promise to the church at Sardis, he says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot his name out from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the church at Philadelphia, he says this, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more and I will write his name, I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. And lastly, to the church at Laodicea, he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You see these promises over and over, and you think, "Okay, Pastor Bob, I get it. Things are good when you overcome." But listen, do we really get it? That listen, if we did, we wouldn't try to do things our own way or culture's way. We'd be sold out one hundred percent for God's way. But there's a promise according to verse four that if you are born of God, you're going to overcome the world. Now, what does he mean by the world? I mean, because there, there's several words in the original language that he could have used here to talk about the world, right? He could talk about the world meaning like planets. That's not what he's talking about here. Could he use that? He didn't. There's the world like meaning just people, right? Because like in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. That's not the word he uses. But instead he uses a different term. A term that refers to a world system. A system that is hostile to the things of God. Have you noticed that? That we live in a world that is hostile to the things of God. A world that just doesn't like Jesus. Does, that they just hate the church. I mean, I'm watching the news the other night. Maybe you watched this. It was the rarest thing. Um, it's what I like to call a random act of journalism. Um, <clears throat> because you don't see much of it anymore. Uh, but I was watching the news the other night. And there was this, a, there was this atheist group that's suing... Christ, a Christian group because of this memorial at uh, Ground Zero or whatever and and the news anchor says to them, You know got you, you, you atheist folks you 're always going after Christians why aren 't you going after Muslims for the same issue and um, and the atheist didn 't have an answer They're like, well you know and it's kind of just he and, and Han. And some would say, well, that's because Christians probably aren't going to go all jihad on you. Uh, and so that you think as Christians generally are like fairly fun, loving people. Um, and uh, but I think there's a deeper reason than that. There's a deeper reason than that listen, they're part of a world system that just hates Jesus. Listen, I don't know how many of you watched uh, the DNC this week. And let me just tell you, this is not a political statement. All right. Um, here's what I tell you. I think everybody should vote. And I think that you need to figure out who you should vote for. All right. Uh, this is not the pulpit is not the place where I talk politics. The pulpit is for preaching the gospel. OK, um, but I'm just going to tell you this. I watched the DNC this week and I was horrified when I heard uh, the mayor of Los Angeles try to add God back into the, the, the Democratic national platform. And, and the delegates booed. I mean, it was like more than half the place was booing the adding of God to the platform. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And here's the deal. It's going to get worse. Like, don't expect the world to just be like, ah, you know, you Christians are awesome. Um, You know why? Because there is a hostility towards the things of God. And why is that? Listen, Jesus said it in John chapter 3, verse 19. You want to jot it somewhere. He said, and this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And by the way, listen, if they hated Jesus and they did. Don't think you and I are going to get off any easier. If you really live for him. Jesus said it this way, these things I've spoken to you that in me, you might have peace because in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That means that things are going to be tough at times. But it also means that if Jesus is in you, here's what he says. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who who is he that overcomes the world? Just in case you weren't paying attention and you needed it a second time around. You're like me, you need to go to 12th grade again. Um, Who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That means that if you're a believer in Jesus, here's here's what happens. We win. Right? You ever read the book of Revelation. Here's here's it in a nutshell. Gets real bad. Jesus wins in the end. That's it. Okay? That's how it goes. My daughter reminded me of this this week. She got a hundred percent on her math uh, this math quiz that she had. She's in kindergarten, and uh, and I'm telling you, it was it had some hard questions on there for a five year old. It was like one of the questions was nine plus nine plus one equals, and then another one was like five plus four minus two equals, and she got every single one right. And I'm like Mia. I, my, my daughter's an excellent reader, and I'm, but I had no idea that her math skills were so good. Um, and, and I said, Mia, this is so—I am so proud of you. And she's like, Oh, Bobby, it wasn't hard. I just followed the instructions. And I'm like, What? What do you mean by the instructions? And she says, Well, you see this paper? If you go to the back and you flip it over, it has the instructions on what answers to put right there on the bottom, <laughs> um, and you just write in all the instruction answers and. Uh, and I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, Mia, that's, um, that's called the answer key. And uh, she's like, yeah, that's where all the answers are. So that's what I looked at to get the answers from the instructions. And, um, and <laughs> true story. And uh, I'm like, okay, note to self, work on that. You know, it, we de- make sure she doesn't turn into a career criminal. Um, you know, but let me, let me tell you something. Um, we, you, listen, we just like, see the scriptures, just like my daughter's test, the answers are in the back of the book. Like, well, man, things are going really bad. What happens? We'll flip to the back. What happens? Satan, lake of fire. Jesus comes back. New heaven, new earth. All, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Jesus wins. It's real tough for Satan in the end. And that's what happens. And listen, this is why the opposition gets tougher and tougher. Because people have been saying for years, you know, we're living in, the, in the, the, the last days. Let me tell you something. We're not living in the last days. We're living in the last of the last days. I don't know if you, if you follow this stuff and you're as interested in it as I am. But listen, um, the reason that the opposition is tough, the reason why people are more hostile to the things of God than ever is because Satan knows that his days are numbered. You want to know what the next event on God's prophetic calendar is? The next event on God's prophetic calendar is um, found in the book of Ezekiel. In chapters 38 and 39, it, it describes this invasion of a country by the name of Magog. And uh, as you go back to Genesis, you find out who Magog is. Magog is actually an ancient name for the country of Russia. And uh, that the Bible says in Magog that I'm actually going to put a hook in their mouth and drag them from the north down to. Um, the, the land of Israel, and people say, I mean, come on, is that is that really close to happening? I mean, for real, right? I mean, the president just gave an address, and he said that anybody who thinks that Russia is a real threat is living thirty years ago in the Cold War. I mean, um, and so that that can't that can't be right, right? I mean, you know, I'm sure that the Obama administration has more information than Ezekiel, so that can't be correct. And so um, now, let me tell you what. What um, Israel has told um, our current administration, Israel, the country of Israel, has told our current administration that they are going to take action before the uh, election, in, our election in November, if the U.S. doesn't do anything about Iran reaching its nuclear ambitions. Syria is ready to start using chemical weapons against their own citizens because their own citizens are starting to protest over the atrocities that they see happening in their country. The U.S. has said, President Obama spoke and he said, if if Syria begins to use chemical weapons, that will be the red line that the U.S. now begins to intervene on, uh, on, on the behalf of the Syrian people. You know what the Russian foreign minister said? In response to President Obama's speech, he said that if the U.S. gets involved in Syria, then Russia will have to get involved in Syria as well. Because what people don't realize is that Russia has been involved behind, they think that, you know, well, Russia fell in you know the early 90s and that was the end. No, no, no. Russia has been involved behind the scenes for the last 20 years. How do you think that Iran has the technology to reach its nuclear uh, ambitions it's because it's all these former KGB scientists that have been working in the last 20 years they've been working in Iran to try to create these reactors that make uh, weapons of mass destruction and all of this is happening right and listen now let me give you don't have to be the geography champion of 1978 to understand what's going on listen Syria their next door neighbor to the east Iraq their next door neighbor to the west Israel and so, my friends, what I'm telling you is this, and we're going to talk about all this in this next series that we do in First and 2 Thessalonians, two books written to a church all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what I'm telling you is this, is that, my friends, these things are about to go down. The return of Jesus is at hand, and we need to be ready. And so my question is, are you ready? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. This idea of salvation and coming to know Jesus and getting right with him. Or maybe you're far from him and coming back to him. This is not an idea that we punt until tomorrow. No, it's an idea that we deal with today. It's a decision that we make today. You see, and you might be thinking, "Oh, Pastor Bob, you don't understand. Uh, I've done too many things for God to really love me. I've done too many things for God to accept me. You know, I hear this from Christians and from non-Christians alike. That they think that their past is somehow greater than the grace of God. Can I tell you that here's what the Bible says about God's grace? That it's not just grace And the book of Romans says it's grace upon grace. It's this, this piling of grace that far exceeds whatever it is that you and I have done wrong. See, the Bible would say it this way about us. Yes, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's the bottom line, is that God loves you. The bottom line is that Jesus died for you. The bottom line is that the Spirit of God is knocking, knocking on your heart, desiring to take residence, if you'll open the today is the day of salvation, not to put it off to some other time, some other day, some other moment. Listen, some of us are here and we've, um, we've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You're hearing this stuff and you're like I was 20 years ago when my brother shared these things with me. I was, I was clueless. I had no idea, but I knew this, that I was far from God and that I was lost. And that, um, when I heard the gospel that Jesus had died for me and that he wants to forgive me and give me life, listen, I wanted to embrace that. And God's changed my life over the last 20 years in ways that I could never have even dreamed. And listen, maybe some of you are here and you know the Lord, but you've walked away. And, and now you're, 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 you're at a place and for whatever reason you, you got here and now you're, you're hearing this and you're saying, man, but can I, can I come back? And the answer... God, like the father and the prodigal son is, is waiting. And when he sees you, he's going to come running to receive you, to embrace you, to transform your life. Oh, but you don't know my past, Pastor. No, I don't know your past, but he does. And he's still waiting to receive you because God's grace is greater than your past. And God's grace is going to take you to a future that's far better than any future you can envision for yourself. The Bible says that God wants to give you a future and a hope. And that begins in a decision to come to the Lord. For some of you to come back to the Lord because you've walked away. So we're going to pray. And as we pray, the band is going to start. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. And when you do, we're going to pray together. Those of us that are gathered. God to do a work on this day the day of salvation for him to transform your life let's pray together Lord we thank you so much for your love we thank you for the work that you want to do and so I ask and pray that in this closing moment that we would be attuned to what your spirit wants to do in us individually. There's a work that you want to do in us, and I pray we'd be open to it. God, help us to take the step that we need to take in your direction. In Jesus' name.